Thank you for joining us for this first episode of Thinking It Through with Eliza Roberts, Zara Phillips, and Tana Frederick. I'm your host, Carlton Batten. I'll be contributing along the way, but without further ado, let me hand it over to our three delightful personalities. Thank you, Carlton. So maybe the first thing to do is just say something very briefly about who we each are and why we are here talking about the subjects that we're going to talk about in the ensuing next into eternity. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Good idea. Good idea. Carlton, we're going to want to know a little bit about him, but, but um, Zara, shall we start with you? Yes. Well, my name is Zara Phillips, but I am not the queen's granddaughter, even though I get emails (laughs) thinking that I am the queen's granddaughter. And recently there was an article, an AI article about me and my husband with him being married to the queen's granddaughter. (laughs) Ah, nice. But I am a, what am I? I'm a singer, songwriter. I'm a playwright and an author, and my passion has become speaking about the lifelong impact of being adopted. I was adopted, and I'm an adoptee advocate, so I spend a lot of time breaking the myths around that. And a lot of my work, songs, plays, books have all been around that experience. I didn't mean that to happen, but it just happened. Great. That's exactly what I mean. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're very casual here. So you're going to hear the phone ring and the cat scratching on the furniture. Okay. Tana, you. Um, so I am an actress and uh, writer and director and um, sometimes producer. And uh, I am really honored to be with these two women and Carlton. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because I am just really um excited to have two such uh deep and beautiful women um and be able to talk about subjects that I think a lot of people don't don't talk about and um and gently or not so gently you know push our way into some um real topics that I think you know um I, I think that that uh, a lot of things can be solved when you crack open the door of communication. And so I'm I know. Fumble. Fumble. There's a man joke. I'm glad we have a man joke. Fumble. Okay. Right. I have a football joke in there. Anyway, I'm I'm really grateful to be here. Um, uh, let me, uh, that, that was great. Let me just ask you one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Zara gave a little clue as to one of the things we're going to talk about a mm-hmm. lot and why that's a thing for her. Are, um, were you adopted? I wasn't adopted. I had, um, two loving parents and, um, and I, but, you know, as far as adoption is concerned, it's something that I, you know, actually had a conversation with Eliza and Zara about because adoption for me being 46 and not knowing whether or not I can have a child adoption is something that I have thought about and looked into and, um, and don't know a lot about, I have a lot of different, uh, a lot of information. That's a lot of, that's, that's a a big part of why we're here. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to, say a little bit about myself and then Carlton you're going to have to at least tell us 
you know, what you do or kind of how you oh, I stumbled into this conversation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I'll do I'll do me first. Um okay, I'm Eliza Roberts and um I am half adopted. I was adopted by my father. Um my mom was always my biological mom. She was married a lot. And um, you will see when we talk about our, whether we have kids or not and how they all came to be, that one of the things we're gonna talk about is, um, is well, how they came to be and how their kids are coming to be. Um, because there's a lot of options now and there's a lot to think about, hence the title, Thinking It Through. Um, and then for my other stuff, um, I'm an actress and casting director and um, and I manage my husband, Eric Roberts, who's an actor. Um, Carlton, um, who are you and what might be your relationship to adoption and also do you have kids? Well, I am a long-term director on The Simpsons. I've been on the show for decades um, and uh I am not adopted. I I do have a son um, who's grown up now, an adult son. And, um, you know, I have, I've, have people close to me who have not been able to have children and um, who have uh, gone down that road of adoption and, um, and, and, you know, it's a, it's a difficult um subject and decision to make and and um so it's it's interesting and um i'm happy to be here being the one man in the room to uh bounce things off of <laughs> to balance things out don't worry there'll be a lot of first of all we're afraid to say man woman boy girl anything i mean everyone are people um, but we'll have a lot of guys and a lot of women and all different generations coming and joining the conversation because these issues, um, though we're going to be as specific as we can, they do touch everyone's life. Ha has the Simpsons ever dealt delved into the world of adoption biology? Interesting um, question. Um, I'm not sure. I, 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 I mean, nothing comes to mind. There have been certainly a lot of issues around um, um you know, Homer's mother runs off. It's like you never see Homer's mother. There's a few episodes out of the 750 we've done that um, have dealt with his mother, who is basically absent, but um, it was more about she was sort of like a radical hippie who who had was on the run from the law. And so <laughs> she she runs off when he's very young and um it's sort of this sore spot in his life forever that he keeps you know he comes around to every once in a while and we'll do an episode about it but um the only th the only episode here, i can think we'll of take, we'll take idea by credit um right. <laughs> yeah okay Dang. <laughs> we'll get Simpsons, it's time <laughs> yeah. Well, the only one I can think of is there was an episode where they took away um, the kids from Homer and Marge and they moved them next door to the Flanders house and Flanders <laughs> was going to uh, adopt them. But then, you yeah. know, toward the end, the family fights back and 
and oh. reclaims their children. <laughs> so I think I remember that episode where they they where Bart was like horrified with uh, them doing like Bible readings every night or something. Right. Like yeah. Right. Hands all those rules about yeah. decision making and joy. Okay. So so Zara, um, why why don't you start by telling us what November is? And just anything that's the most pressing. You also can tell us, you know, who your husband is. And, you know, it's not the guy who's married to Zara. Is that other Zara Phillips even married to anybody? Oh, yeah. She's married to Mike Tyndall. He's a rugby player. Okay. So he's <laughs> not your husband. And about two years younger than me. But no one's talked to us. Her manager. I've had so many emails. Her manager and me are now friends because I just forward them all <laughs> when <Funny>. they ask. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> so people will say, "Can you come to the gym, Karna?" And I'm like, "Okay, I'm <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I can, but sing you a song, maybe." Um, I forgot to say, I am a mother of three biological children which um, having children definitely brings up a lot of stuff for me around being an adoptee. The first biological people that I ever lived with. So, you know, the, there was a lot. They, they helped me. Um, they have no idea, but they helped me a lot with this work because I began to make all the connections when I became a mother of what it really meant to give one's baby up, to not be able to have a baby, you know, I began to understand both my mother's situations. Um, my husband is, his name is Richard Thompson, and he is a guitarist and uh, singer-songwriter. And he's like one of the top guitar players in the world. And today he was trying to teach me stuff on the guitar. And let me tell you, <laughs> I get very <laughs> when I am... When he's like, just do this, just do that, you know, like. Oh. <laughs> well, okay, that brings something to mind, actually, that I don't want to forget to talk about, yes. which is, um, and I know all of us have experienced this in some way or another, mm -hmm. um, the things, biology and the things we inherit are often way beyond things like eye color. Right. right. And what my biological dad used to say, handedness, because he was left handed. And so am I. It can be musical talent like Richard. Some of Richard's kids might have it. Some of your kids might have it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it can be characterological. That's the thing. Why? That's that's one of the reasons that biology and knowing who you are biologically, I feel, should be every person's right, because <clears throat> I, I, you know, just to get right into it, um, my biological father and my biological mother were never all that monogamous in their relationships, right? Whereas my adoptive dad was. And I noticed that his biological kids are, and my parents' biological kids and one of their grandkids isn't so much. And that includes me. So I'm really re revealing something. And some of these discoveries are extremely emotionally powerful. Wow. And I think they're largely the reason that sometimes when you meet your biological family and Jillian Barbier and, and so many of our friends can attest to this, you have this immediate uh, reaction because you're really seeing 
a lot of stuff that you wondered why you were like that. Wow. And um, there's this uh, immediate mm. connection and a lot of trust that follows. And, um, you know, it's it's heavy. Um, and I think that since basically thematically what we're going to talk about is keeping in mind the most important person in the equation of creating humans, and that is the person being created, which is the child. Um, and uh, often with the rules and regulations and all the psychology and all the politics of it, that is, of course, as Arthur Janoff said, children, the world's largest depressed minority, they are the ones who are left out. We, 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 what we want to do is stop them being left out. Wouldn't you say guys? Mm -hmm. Sorry. And, and the baby is, is never thought of first. It's always about the adult. I want a baby or, right. and you know, adoption is an industry. It's a huge industry. So it's, We'll, we'll break down those myths, but November, which I didn't mention. So November is National Adoption Awareness Month in America. In England, it is this week in October. We only mm. they only have one week in in England, and you have a whole month in America. And you'll just see more. You'll see a lot of um, talk, maybe about fostering adoption, and all you know. There'll be a lot of uh, information out there, and different opinions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. See, th that's the thing is that, you know, we all have great, like, we have great sensitivity to your situation, because I've known you for a long time. And, yeah. Um, picturing you as a mom is such a delightful thing. Thank you. And so we know you have these options. And we've seen those options go really well. Mm -hmm. And we've seen them no go not so well. But we've also seen biological parenting go not so well, unfortunately, most of the time. Mm hmm. But um, it's a matter of doing it with awareness. And, and everyone who might be hearing us at any point is going to have some kind of stake in some, what are these roles? Right. And, um, and some kind of opinion. You know, I mean, all children need a loving home. We know this. We're not saying leave them. And, you know, if their biological parents can't do it, then they're just out on their own. I mean, it's, right. it's nothing like that. It's just think, think, think. And, um, and also I feel that a person's right that, you know, the rights we have to who we are, are our rights before anybody else's, um, before anybody else's. So these people who make up the rules, you know, who, the, who, who are they really? It, it reminds me, as a matter of fact, having a child who's deprived of the information about themselves seems similar to some of our horrible immigration regulations that make it so that if somebody goes to seek a life in another on another part of the planet they are then deprived of ever seeing their family again mm -hmm. i mean we need to at least know who are who, what we're made of what the ingredients are i mean there's there's and in america there's there's a difference that i just want to explain to people i come from the closed adoption era which means I was not allowed any information about my biological parents. My adoptive parents were told, you take this baby, you raise it as your own. It won't know the difference. And there's no information. You basically have to grow up knowing absolutely nothing except you were adopted. But in 1975, 
the laws changed so adoptees could get their original birth certificates. So by the time I was, you know, in the 80s, I was able to search for my birth mother. I had the right. In America, it's way worse. They literally change, they pretend that the adopted child is born to the adopted parent. Whereas in England, I had a birth certificate with my adopted parents' names, but it said I was adopted. In America, it does not say you're adopted. They literally take your original birth certificate, they lock it away, and you are not allowed to have access to it and uh, at all, even when you're of age, at all. And mm. uh, you know, we've been in situations where we've gone to help adoptees and it is in somebody's office. And this woman secretary has a right to look at this person's birth certificate and they don't so what we have done and what i have been doing since i lived in the states is help go from state to state to change this law so in new jersey after 30 odd years the laws are now opening california things are beginning to change going forward so you know adoptees were dying adoptees had uh, medical stuff and they could never find out even medical information so that is the closed adoption era. You know, there's um, there are open adoptions, which means, but there's a fallacy around that. So an open adoption is when the adopted parent has contact with the birth parent, but it's just a verbal agreement. So either party can shut that down anytime. So again, it's not around the child. So if the adoptive parent feels threatened, which many can, when the child gets older, they think, oh, it's confusing. They have two mothers or maybe they feel they love their birth mother more than them or whatever. They can just cut that birth mother out or the birth mother too can feel like I can't handle it and disappear. So who loses out every time is the child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> See, that that's, that's really interesting because you're telling part of your story and we're going to want to hear everyone's story that happened um that happened to me just from a half adoption um i went i i had a boyfriend a fiance actually and he wanted to get my astrological chart done and i was born in new york so we went to the the records i didn't know what time i was born so i went to get my birth certificate and i put in my name that i was born with and there was nothing and we went and sat in the hall and then a woman came out like 45 minutes later because um, we were waiting to go into another line. And she said, I think I found something. And she had my birth certificate and it had my adopted name. I was four years old when I was adopted. Wow. And it said present <clears throat> at birth. And it listed my mother and my adoptive father uh, and gave their their professions and everything. And he was not present at birth. I didn't meet him till I was four. So, and I have a four-year-old grandchild now. So I, I know what four is, very conscious and aware of who her, her parents are. Um, and that means that woman, that kind woman, knew where to look, but couldn't show me where to look. And that somewhere in her records, this stranger was mm-hmm. a connection between my original name and that next name. I had a little card with a pink bow that said my original name from when I was born, but it was not a, an official document. Later, because as you said, the laws have changed and this country is one of the worst. Um, uh, later, when I went to get my, to get a real ID and to get my social security card, they couldn't give it to me because my biological father had passed away 
And they said, well, you're in limbo. You don't actually have an official name. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was adopted. So it's probably my adoptive name. And they said, I was adopted by my father. They said, yes, but your your biological father, his obligation towards you is restored upon his passing. And therefore that would be your name, but we haven't determined this yet. So you cannot get your social security card or a real ID. And, um, and by the way, they said, you never changed your name for either of your marriages. Um, and I was like, so what's my name? And the woman was like, TBD <laughs> to be determined. So these are things where, and I mean, I'm not a child, but these are things <clears throat> where you're kind of, it's, it's wrong. And it's rules that are made with no sensitivity at all. Mm, yeah. I can't imagine your feeling of number one, like sort of PTSD from early on, uh, you know, like a rejection. And then on top of that, having to, dig and going through red tape to discover who you are like that you know and it's a lie on piling piling on to you yeah yeah exactly so so what, what's interesting having you here and carlton who both were not adopted but um but in terms of the whole he has a kid you you are planning on in some way having a kid you know i think conversations with us definitely can help open the eyes in terms of making sure that child feels complete and has access. Um, love is great. Love is really important. But um, but so is information, not just for medical reasons, but just for a sense of completion. It really can panic you to have this blank space, mm -hmm. you know, and it does. Um, mm -hmm. One thing really important to know um, you know, when I talk to adoptive parents, I'll say to them, what is the least thing that you understood about adoption? And I doesn't matter what group I talk to, they will say the level of grief that my child has. Mm. Babies that are adopted come to you with grief. There is no way around it. And love cannot fix that grief. As Eliza said, love is wonderful. Love is helpful. But nothing can fill that grief of what happens when a baby is separated from its mother. And you know, in the animal kingdom, we don't take away puppies for six weeks, right? They stay with their mothers. Yeah. Babies are taken away at birth because they think that the sooner you do it, the baby won't know. But what happens is the baby, you know, so the adopted parent comes all so excited. Oh, I'm gonna have this baby. And the baby's looking at, where's my mom? Who's this stranger? So they're both coming from completely different places. And that's the piece for me that I always have to describe over and over for people to really understand that babies, that's how they come. Because any baby that's taken from its mother, the brain does not develop in the same way as babies that attach and lay on the skin. Um, you know, I'm not a brain person, but I love all that. So synapses are literally not formed. That's why addiction can be higher because baby has to learn to self-soothe. Serotonin level is different in the brain for the adopted child. So there's all these things and adopted parents, they're not told. 
they're really not told or they don't want to know at the time. They're like, just give me the baby, fix the void of infertility. I'll have this baby that'll fix it and I'll love it so much and it will fill each other. And then as the baby, the child gets older and stuff comes up, you know, usually unspoken because it's cellular memory as well. The baby doesn't always have words. So the child acts out, maybe aggressive or or doesn't attach in the way the mother wants and they have no words because it's a feeling so yeah. there's all it's, it's very late the child doesn't make so the child doesn't knows when um when it's laying on its new mother like it it understand it it the child knows that it's not the same dna the child can grok that it's not with the actual mother and then it starts to create different um well remember the is child there, are there, the child has lived with that mother with that mother yeah that that's the thing is that is that um uh, uh, Jan Hunt from Natural Child said that baby is already familiar with things that are we're not familiar with and even in ourselves right. the the sounds the stomach right. gurgling it says the baby she says the baby needs to ha- hear the 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 voice the smell the the everything the 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 things we consider to be unpleasant smells, the whole thing that baby's been in in you, so it's a, it is part of you. So you're basically taking the baby away from itself. That doesn't mean you can't form a bond. I think right. I think Zara's thinking is very very radical um, in this, and it's really really important because it's very pure and it's very you know it's a scientific reality that we really have to take into account. I think that as with many parenting imperfections, acknowledgement can be huge and creating the conversation from very early. Like if you say to a child, if you were to adopt a child mm-hmm. and therefore you didn't carry that child, I mean, and later we'll get into all surrogacy and everything else, but and you didn't carry that child, but you love that child so much. Right. Um, and you know, you're eager and you want to do everything right you can address that very early. You can address how are you feeling? This might be why, um, you know, and really start addressing it pre-verbal even so that the child knows this isn't that, it's something else. And and you can do your best with that child and they can do their best to acknowledge that feeling of just something missing. It's mm-hmm. not, listen, there's a lot of kids mm-hmm. who don't have, who have only one parent, you mm-hmm. know, that's still someone missing, something that is part of them. Um, but you, you know, you just, I mean, it's almost like making up for, you know, if you have no money or you have no warmth, it's cold all the time. You live in a country where it's always in a state or whatever, where it's always dark where it's dark mm-hmm. half the year, you mm-hmm. know, um, and just awareness, this other thing would feel better. We don't have it, but we do have this. Right. So at least there's acknowledgement because I think that, that Zara's right. The, the need of the adoptive parents so often to feel like, well, I'm providing everything. It's even better. Right. My mom wanted me to have nothing to do with my biological father. She's like, this is better. Uh And my adoptive father was very smart. They're only in their twenties. He's like, I don't think that's right. I think she should continue to have some kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, people will, will use material judgment. I can prove you've heard this a million times. I can provide a better home. Well, sometimes a kid will take a, a not better home for 
a more complete sense of self. But I think the acknowledgement and actually treating this as what it is, you know, I am a parent to you. You didn't grow up inside me. There's, you may feel this, you may feel that. The fact that you're feeling this could be because of this, right? You know, just some acknowledgement. And that, well, that makes me, uh, Carlton, I have a question for you because this isn't um, necessarily about adoption, but about, you know, being a single parent. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, how, how were, how was that acknowledgement? How did that, transpire I mean this is a personal question but we're all kind of being personal here like how did that how did that sort of work with you and your son you know as a as a single father and um well my um son's mother and I split up pretty early on Uh, he was only two so um you know he had to deal with that at a pretty young age and we did our best to um you know continue to be friendly and be in his life uh, and sort of have a 50 50 ish split at the time um but i will say you know as much as i felt like we pulled it off pretty well like we definitely tried to make it a smooth transition and you know for years to come we you know we're always friendly um it it, it, i do think it has had its effect on um on my son and um he's and i didn't think it would as much you know maybe he's just sensitive or whatever but it's um there definitely have been some issues that have crept up along the way that sort of pointed back to that, to that, I don't know what to call it abandonment exactly because, you know, she was still in the picture somewhat, but um, it felt like he, you know, experienced some, some abandonment type issues, um, even though we tried our best to, um, you know, make it, to where we were, we were, you know, loving and, and, and there for him, uh, all the way along. So, I, I mean, I, I'm sure if somebody is, um, you know, put up for adoption and, and, and then has a new family and, um, I, that's a much more extreme, uh, thing to have happen than just have your parents, you know, separate and, um, still, you know, be in the picture. And so I'm sure it, it's a very delicate um, and probably misunderstood phenomenon to, to have, you know, what, like, what does it do to a child when you put that child up for adoption? And what is, um, how does that affect them if they do or don't have that information about their family history? And, um, you know, I mean, I, I, tend to believe that, you know, the information is good for, you know, everybody and that people should at least know their family history. I mean, that's the sort of thing that doctors ask you about, you know, about, are you prone to cancer? Does heart disease run in your family? Things like that. You wouldn't know that if you had no information about your family. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I mean, I, I, I think it's important for everybody to know as much as they can. Um, and I'm all for, you know, 
as much uh, transparency as as you know can be uh, given in these situations. I mean, you know, they're tricky because sometimes the parents who are giving up the child don't want you know they want to be um, separate from the child and um, but I don't think that's fair to the child. No, that's right. That's what we're saying here is that that should not be allowed. I mean, there are all these rules. The rules are made in favor of the wrong stuff. Zara, both of you guys did a one woman show in Zara's original one woman show. There was a whole and she did it with humor, which was great. There was a whole scene of her filling out a medical uh, form in a doctor's office and not knowing half the stuff. Oh. And then the 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 nurse or receptionist at the being like angry and frustrated with her. Like, why don't you know this? You know, that happens. You're actually discriminated yeah. against because, you know, it's like you you shouldn't be here because you're not, you're not doing it right. You know, and it's it such a disadvantage, you know, just things that people would normally know and then you don't. So it sort of is isolating. Also, you know, it's a vulnerability where I will go to the doctor's and I'll maybe I don't want them to know I'm adopted today. Maybe I'm feeling a little sensitive around that. Yeah. Because when you say the word, people have a reaction to it. They look at you differently. Or, you know, there's just something. And so it puts us in a vulnerable position straight away. That's yeah. what I don't. Oh, interesting. Really? Like, how does that? It's It's really interesting to think that you would wear adoption just coming from a two-parent how you know normal two-parent household not that my mother doesn't have major issues and that's <laughs> in my show like oh my god but like you know like that you would feel today i don't feel like being like i don't want people to know i'm adopted today you know like that's an amazing that gives me goosebumps like that's an amazing thing to hear you say like, maybe today I don't want to be adopted. You know, yeah. like that's like me saying like, maybe today I don't feel like people knowing I'm an addict. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the same thing. It's like scarlet letter. Yeah. And also, you know, when I was married to my first husband, I said, I mean, this is ridiculous. I was like, I don't know if I can have a baby. He's like, why not? Because my adoptive mother was infertile. She could wow. not have a baby. My birth mother, there's three of us. My birth father, there's seven of us with six different <laughs> And then just say, brothers and sisters. His mother had 18 babies, not all of them lived. So I was like, I can't have a, you know, because this is all the stuff that you, that you carry. It's all so screwed up. And of course I got pregnant like immediately. And I did God knows how many pregnancy tests. I write about that, you know, because I just couldn't believe it. So like, what do you mean I'm pregnant? How can I be pregnant? <laughs> I should have got shares in pregnancy tests. Did yeah. a blood test, went to the doctor. He was like, you are pregnant. I was like, just do another one. <laughs> but I know one, here, we're just trying to cheat this because that light is getting, yeah, I know. it's, it's I like know. A, a halo. You're right about <laughs> We're like so heavenly. We're right about everything. You see, right? <laughs> Looks like you're yeah ascending into heaven right now. <laughs> Sarah had um, a similar thing happen 
as to a thing that happened with me too. And uh, Carlton, I know you can relate to this and so can you. And a lot of it is instinct, you know? Yeah. Um, I know that when Zara had her kids, it was so unthinkable for, for her. She holds these babies in her arms and she's like, imagine that I'm like, okay, it's time to say goodbye. Like in a bajillion years, she couldn't do that. They could have been born with their toes coming out of their head and they were her kids, right? <laughs> so I remember being with Jimmy, who's the father of my children, um, Jimmy Simons. And we were, um, I think he was 23 and I was 24 years old or something like that. And we were watching, we're in the you East were Coast. You such a baby. We were babies. You were a baby. I was seven months pregnant. We're on the East Coast. We were watching um, old home movies that uh, my god sister's dad had taken, right? And my, there was my biological father at my first birthday playing guitar. I didn't know he played guitar. I didn't know he ever came to any of my birthdays. Ugh. I didn't even know it was him. Oh, my. Oh I was my like, God. who's that? And they're like, that's David Raphael. And I'm like, you know, I wanted to say to my mom, hey, you never wanted to tell me that the guy plays guitar. My son is a guitarist. So anyway, um, but Jimmy said to me and Jimmy was terrified. We're having a baby. We were babies having a baby. And Jimmy said to me, he, he didn't even say to me. He just it just came out of his mouth. He's like, oh, my God, I I I could never ha give up this child that you're carrying. I could never do that. I don't care if I didn't have a dime to my name or if there was, you know, if mm. I was, you know, um, and have give it to someone else, you know? And it was just an organic thing because he was looking at the man who did do that. And by the way, I was always told he thought it was better. And then I just realized like two weeks ago, right? At this stage of life, I'm 70. I just realized, um, no, the man, Don Garrett, who my mom married, who's a wonderful, I think of him as saving my life and I love him dearly. Um, but he was, um, he was like 29 or 30. He didn't have a pot to piss in. There were, there was nothing better. He didn't know me. Um, she was knocked up with my sister. And so no, nobody was doing anybody any favors in this situation. <laughs> They were doing my mom a favor because she was mad at, at my biological dad. Mm -hmm. And um, wow. they were she they were just kind of getting rid of him. And in so doing, it's it became my legacy. No one gave one thought to what any of that would feel like ever. It's to this day. You know, I'm you know, so we you have never to... oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was gonna say I have to think about, you know, birth mothers. And birth mothers, you know, I was born in the 60s and to be pregnant as a teenager, which my birth mother was by an Italian man and she was Jewish, didn't go down well. You know, you have, like, <laughs> there's a little oil and water there, I think. So back then we have to also remember the times were so different. It was like you could not keep your baby because I was illegitimate. That was the biggest shame right. that you could have in your family. So that's, you know, the 50s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. We were like this minority, if you like, of people in this closed adoption system. But something that still happens today, because there aren't so many newborn babies as there were in those days, women are coerced into giving up their babies. Women oh. are made, and I will say it to any woman that is pregnant and thinking about giving up that baby, you do not sign the paper when you are pregnant. They try and make them sign when they are pregnant. 
we say, and I'm, I'm part of this organization, Saving Our Sisters, where mothers really do want to keep the babies, but because of poverty, they feel they, they can't provide. Wait until you have given birth to that baby, mm. because then usually they cannot give the baby up because of the attachment. But right. and I hate to say it, in the adoption industry, they will try and get them to sign the paper while they're pregnant. And then these women, some of them who are illiterate, some of these women are, are illiterate. They come from really bad situations and they, they feel like it's too late then. So there's, there's a lot of really underhanded stuff that goes on. You know, not, I mean, once we get into all the sperm donor and the egg donor stuff of what's really going on out there is beyond horrifying. But, you know, the, you know, and some kids that are in foster care really do need homes. You know, there are children that are older, but people don't want them because they're of color. You know, they have been from home to home. And, you know, they're all sort of sitting in foster care, watching celebrities go to another country to adopt a baby. And they sit there going, why, why don't they adopt me? Yeah. Because some celebrities don't want the hassle. Oh. Honestly, the family's close by. They'd rather go get an Ethiopian baby where the family is over there and they don't have to deal with that. I mean, I, I'm telling you all the horror stuff, you know, thinking it through because there is there's so many layers to this. And, and, you know, it's not Disney. It's not the Disney movie. And the giving oh. up of the baby. Well, say to an adoptive, I, I did this talk to psychiatrists once, and sometimes I want to go, are oh, you freaking stupid? You know, like, what don't you get that babies know everything? So I say to them, okay, who has a child? And they'll be like, I do. I say, okay, I want you to imagine right now that I'm taking your child, I'm changing its name, I'm sending it to another country and you are never going to see that child again. How do you feel in your body right now? And they go, oh, panicked, terror, horror. I say, that's what the baby feels. That's the only way I can get people to understand. And the reason I know that as an adoptee is that is what I have lived with in my body, in my cells, and that's been my battle. And I always say, so talk to the people that live it and, you know, I'm not alone. I'm part of, you know, I go to so many adoption conferences. I have met hundreds upon hundreds. Adoptees are four times more likely to attempt suicide, adopted teens. Wow. than These are actual statistics from the American Pediatric Organization. So this is why the Awareness Month is so important. Um, you know, and you get the angry adoptees, um, you know, I mean, the, 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 there's a lot of emotion around it. And but yeah, kids, there's a lot of kids that really do need homes. So it's complicated. Complicated. And you notice, of course, that, you know, this all comes down to what so many things come down to, because we need a revolution in another area, because so much of it comes down to economics and comes down to money. The idea mm -hmm. that there even is such thing as poverty on this planet is an obscene crime. It's unnecessary. Um, it's ridiculous. We we got stuck in a system that that has been outdated. Never has never worked, and we are torturing people. And this is one of the forms. There should never ever ever be a mother or parents of any kind who have to worry about not being able to care for their child. That is just it's fixable, and you know and 
there are so many evil and ills that grow from all of that. Um, just to fix that first, we get rid of a lot of these terrible decisions. You're absolutely right, Zara. And also education and dealing with the fear and everything else that you feel about. I mean, I know, and I don't know if you went through this, but when I had my son, I, you could ask your mom if she did. And I, when I was pregnant with my second child, I was like, do I have enough love to give to another child? I was, I so loved my, and then you have oodles of we have plenty of love to give to that mm -hmm. but even just those fears we don't even want to deal with anything to do with any of this to do I know to say it's not i didn't love my adoptive mother of course i did so mm -hmm. it's not about that it's just about all the other stuff that goes with it and i have heard i mean my dream is to you know if i had loads of money to have a place for teenage mothers to come yeah they have their it's because teenage mothers don't stay teenagers right and you take care of their babies and they go to college and, and recently i read a beautiful story of an adoptive mother who took the mother and the baby yeah she oh, wow. right wow. the baby doesn't have the attachment they both raise the baby and then and, and the teenager finished school high school and you know yes. it's an i kind of live more in that yeah yeah but see that's the solution like yeah. nobody nobody yeah. considers that and when you guys talk about thinking it through, and, and I think the three of us have this conversation um, before, but when you also like when you're a woman who's, for me, going through like the options of, you know, I've been to probably like four different fertility clinics mm -hmm. because as you get to a certain age and then they give you the sushi menu of how am I going to have a child. Mm -hmm. If I want a child, am I, I'm getting to that, that age of like, you know, I, people won't even see me unless I get a donor egg, you know, mm -hmm. like, and then, um, yeah. then have a surrogate and then, you know, have donor sperm and it's all, it all comes in, but, but what it is, is it's a very clinical medical list mm -hmm. of, um, what's presented, for these different fertility clinics that I've gone to yeah. is it's a very clinical list of if you can have $10,000, you can get the egg, you have to get the mother, you have to have her checked in, you have to have the sperm donor, this, that, you know, it's, it's just a list of, of. How does that make you feel like, how do you feel about that? It's terrifying. It's terrifying to me. It feels disgusting, cold. It it doesn't feel disgusting. It just feels so cold and sad and lonely. I feel so detached. And then the in my mind, the repercussions of like kicking the can down the road and saying, what am I going to tell my seven-year-old about who his real mother is, mm -hmm. how he was born? I, I mean, I'm saying he, mm -hmm. but like, or she, how she was born, um, that she doesn't have a dad, like who her mother was, like how they were carried, like what, and then, you know, you, you were bringing up the, the actual things that the doctor's offices don't tell you, which is, you know, your child might have a suicidal tendency because there was no bonding. If you do a surrogate, you know, all of these factors. that The baby, and I, I was talking to Eliza about this. The baby carries DNA from the surrogate mother. That's Even if it's not the egg, right? The baby will carry and the mother will carry 
DNA of the baby. From the baby. There's another degree of attachment there. Even if the egg is not the, 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 the carrier's egg. That blows my mind. Yeah. 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 It's, it, it, it's absolutely mind blowing. I think that is the it's... thing is that, you know, for one thing in this country, you're going to get so much skepticism because they're talking statistics. Um, you know, when my, my daughter-in-law was told um, she had a 1% chance that was not true. Immediately she got pregnant. Then she was t- told she had less than a 1% chance. Yes, I, Wasn't was, she, yeah. I was told I had a 2% chance by, by one doctor. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then I don't even want to go in and get, you know, I'm terrified to go in and see how many eggs I have left because mm-hmm. it's like, you're, you know, the whole label of senior pregnancy and you're, you're dried up and there's no chance. And well, like, if you have eight eggs left, then each of those is going to cost like $10,000 to see if like, you're going to have some problem with, you know, you're going to have some genetic, you could have a genetic potential of, you know, but it's just so, it's such a lonely, it feels like such a lonely alien process because you know you decided to wait and then it's like oh well do I adopt so that I'm not putting a baby at risk or that I'm not creating some child that is going to feel crushed Mm -hmm. its entire life like the responsibility of saying to yourself I'd really like a child but what am I doing to that child if I bring it into the world you know you Mm -hmm. you know I totally, I, I, I'd love to hear Zara, what, what you feel about that, Zara. I know mm-hmm. what I feel, which I can talk and I don't think you're a problem. Because I'm, I live it. I know what it feels like to not know who your parents are. And I honestly wouldn't wish it on another human being. It is not, it is a human rights issue to me. That's how radical I feel. And and that's really all I'm going to say about it. But I, every human being needs to know who their parents are. It's very hard to move forward. You know, it's like we always say starting a book on chapter two. You never know your chapter. Like, how do you move forward? Now, some adoptees will be different from me and they will tell you and they might listen to this and say, I have no problem. I love my adopted parents. I never wanted to know who my birth parents are. That's absolutely fine. I'm interested in the families and the adoptees that I connect with who have really struggled in their lives due to this void that has not been filled. So that's really what I care. And creating more human beings knowingly with a void, we know, I know what it feels like. For me, it's very tricky when there's hundreds or thousands of little kids sitting in foster care that really need a home so you know i'm not kind of right those cases when really necessary yeah and it's open and discussed and they know what's happening they're being adopted they're finding a home right that's that is when adoption is a good thing um not these pre-planned kind of you bought a baby and you're just waiting baby pops out you take it home and it's you know it's clueless yeah this is this is this is very different, right? You know, um, there, there are, I mean, there are times that I see some parent interacting with their kid and I want to just go take that kid home <laughs> right on the spot. Apparently <laughs> you don't want him, so I'll take him. Right? <laughs> um, but, you know, even in those situations, what's interesting is they crave each other. The bad parent and the badly treated child, they still need 
the the connection and the information. You don't leave a terrible parent, you know, alone with a kid to raise them. You have to intervene, but you don't deprive them of that of that connection to be able to ask those questions and just look into those faces and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think um, that absolutely, yeah, the idea of creating more, creating more, you're kind of in the wrong country because our country, what they bring in is clinicians. They bring in a psychiatrist, geneticist, lawyer. Um, whereas in, in Zara's country, in England, a lot of times these things are done very privately. I mean, if there's, you know, if there's, uh, let's say, two girls who want to have a baby and they have a really good friend who's a guy and he wants to have a baby too, and they decide to do this as three of them where the biology is always open, they literally, you know, he brings over his stuff, whatever. They Sometimes they do the, the insemination themselves right there in their apartment. They go out to lunch. They're excited. The three of them are going to be parents. Everybody knows who's related to whom. Yeah. You know, and no, it's none of anybody's business. Right, right. And some so, donors in England have to yeah. say who they are. Yeah. Uh, Here now you you can choose if you're gonna go get a sperm donation, you choose only the people who are willing to say I'm me. But the you know, listen, you see here little kids say, I don't care what you say, you're not my parent. Well, you you know, that's a gigantic feeling in a child. And often the parents' response is well, I am, I'm the only parent you've got, but that can really, it, 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 you know, you rarely hear the person say to the child that must feel really bad. And of course it feels like I have no right to be the boss of you. I, I will, ju- I just would like to keep you safe, right. but let's start with me yeah. that way. Right. What, Zara? I don't underestimate as a woman, what it feels like to want a baby. Yes. So I really, and I would never want, even though I'm quite radical in my thinking around this, I know what it feels like to crave to have a baby and to feel that need. So I absolutely have the empathy and for, for same-sex couples, you know, that really want, because I think it's human nature. We want to, to have family. That's just what we're programmed to do. So, you know, I I, I do feel for that, but I always feel the baby even with all those strong feelings we have to think of the little human first beyond our selfish desires and it's and I'm not saying it's easy for people to do you know I was very lucky that I could have biological children so I, I I never underestimate that piece but I suppose I like to be the voice for the baby because I feel very strongly that babies are just not represented. All we hear is what the adults want and we don't know what it feels like. And because I've been doing this for many years in the community, I've heard the most devastating stories of adoptees, the suicidal rates that, you know, it really, it's extreme. And the international adoptees, what they go through being brought over. And some of them would rather have been left in the orphanages to connect to stay connected with their people. Some feel very lost. They move to America. So, and the parents don't always know that they have to make them citizens. I mean, they, you know, they can't get passports. It's, there's a lot that goes on that people don't realize. But, but not- also can research that so you do it the right way. I have at least three really good friends who just got pregnant at your age. So you you may not hear that from doctors and stuff and, um, and no problems, just 
got pregnant, had kids. So, so you just know that the discouraging bullshit that you're hearing from people, um, you put that in its place, <clears throat> you know, put that in its place. And the fact is you waited for really good reasons. Like in a lot of ways you weren't ready before. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, a lot of people aren't ready before, but they do it anyway. Right. Um, so I, I think that it's so not so unbelievably not hopeless. Also, whatever you do, you're doing it with eyes so wide open. The main thing is for the child to have first right to their story, period. First right to their story and for you to be available to um, to work through all their reactions to that story because the kids sometimes say well i'd rather just not be here but they don't really mean that that but that feeling feels very real mm -hmm. and then as with anything else you need to point out well you know if we hadn't done it this way then you you wouldn't be you and you are special for this reason but you just give them access give them the ability to express all the stuff that it feels like that's what's really been missing mm. and access to as much information as you can you're on this journey together you know it's not there is no the superiority that goes on with parents is almost always undesirable i mean it's it's even undesirable in conventional parenting you know and it's allowing your child to be sad about it yeah, yeah which is we all have a hard time as parents wanting our kids to be sad i'm a mom I hated that with my kids, but adoptees, we need to grieve. The gotcha day for me, no, thank you. A lot of adoptees were like, gotcha day, you celebrate gotcha day. It makes our skin crawl. What is gotcha? You know, yeah, what is gotcha day? It's the day that you, the adoption is finalized and they have a big party and a big celebration. Right. It can be a very emotional time for an adoptee. You know, it's like our birthdays, you know, it's like, Birthdays for adoptees are very hard. They're the day you think about your mother. They're mm -hmm. sometimes the day you're taken from your mother. Mm -hmm. um, so all of those things is, you, again, it's what the parents think. But, you know, I'm always like, that's fine. Celebrate your family, your adoption, but have a grief day as well. Like, like don't be afraid to go there. Like it's essential that you go there because otherwise the child will hide that grief. Addiction, I hate to say, we're overrepresented in treatment centers, in prisons, foster kids and adoptees are overrepresented with it with uh yeah in institutions. Mm. Um so you know it has to go, it will go somewhere, right? If it's not acknowledged, it goes somewhere. Yeah. I, I think also, um, Zara, what, what you were talking about with, um, like with your kids um, and, the, you know, your kids have the opportunity to have at least a little sense of the difference. Um, there's also great disappointment because a lot of what happens is the child becomes responsible for their adoptive parents. They don't want to, for them to feel threatened. So mm. it's suddenly their job to say they're okay with something that they're not okay with. Like codependent. Yeah, codependent for, exactly. Mm -hmm. And then a mm -hmm. lot of times you meet the biological parent. I mean, ask Sarah, you know, and you, and you don't have, you didn't have the benefit of you love them despite this flaw, that flaw. Instead, you just meet this kind of disappointing person, just a lot of times, just because they're human. 
And you're like, that's it. That's the, that's the, the missing piece to me. So I've got these people who I can't really relate to and identify with. And then I've got this person who is annoying and maybe, you know, not very intelligent or whatever. And so I have, so then you, again, you feel like you're made of, of nothing. Mm. Um, I mean, I, you know, all those, I hear these feelings all the time and I really, I really understand them. Uh, listen, to be honest and, you know, maybe hopefully my sister won't watch this, um, she's biologically my half sister, but she's by legally my sister. We're very, very close. We're very, very different. And we're very close. And since our parents passed, all three of them, um, we've gotten really close. A lot of the, what keeps us together is we just decided to love each other. We don't stop and talk about how we object to this, we object to that. But she was telling me about finding some old letters and different things and some history and stuff of our dad and his and our grandparents and all the other people today. And to be honest, I was like, what is wrong with me? Am I a drama queen? Am I a bitch? What's wrong with me? Because I was sitting there thinking, you lost me. I know this is really interesting to you, but to me, it's just hearing about, you know, anybody 150 years ago. I'm not related wow. to them. My kids are not related to them. I am related to you and therefore, and you're related to them. So there's a thing there mm -hmm. and that's great. Mm -hmm. I love that. Mm -hmm. But, and it's like hearing from a, from a good, good friend about their ancestry. Yeah. That, that isn't makes sense. Yours. That makes sense. That's justifiable. Right. Yeah. Yes. Except that I my family has always been like, Oh, come on. You know, he was your dad too. And all that kind of, he never thought of you that way. The, again, the person being left out is me. I don't know why I feel this way, but I do. And that's okay. Yeah, it's okay, but not okay with them. Well, not okay with them because I, they're like, he took care of you. The other dude left, you know, you're being ungrateful by not. It's just, it's just this. Yes, I'm interested, but not the same way that she is. I don't look and see my kids' faces there. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't look and see, you know, it's because it's not there. You know what they say about adoption? It is the only trauma in the world where they victim or person is supposed to feel grateful oh that's so mm. interesting oh my god i never heard that one wow that's really that's, that's and really we have loyalty issues very strong loyalty issues to the adopted parent many adoptees don't search you know sometimes till their parents die because of that loyalty yeah, issue. well you never told your dad that you found your dad sorry told him when what <laughs> i told my dad when he was dead I know. Dad, see, that's what I mean. Oh my God. See that? See, oh, that's the but thing. I could, he, I could feel, you know, when someone died, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but I could feel him. He was still in the room, you right. know, the soul. So I told him then, She's but he done. didn't say anything. <laughs> no. I mean, I was protecting him then, you know, but I, I, it took me two years to tell my adopted parents I met my birth mother because I was young because of the fear. The fear was that he would reject me, even in my, I was in my early 20s when I met my birth mother, but the fear was they would reject me. The loyalty, it's very hard to explain. Adoptees will say whatever to the adopted parent because they have saved our lives. To a baby that's separated from the mother, it feels like death. Because another thing to remember is babies don't know they're a separate person until they're about six months of age. They actually think they are one with the mother. They don't know they're a separate being. So when you break that, 
you know, that the, there's a terror in the baby of I'm going to die. So when these things come up, like the lifelong impact of adoption, which I talk about a lot, that same feeling can come back. That's why adoptees, they'll be terrified that they're adopted. And even adopted parents who are so fantastic and like, I'll help you search or I'll, you know, they're really there with their child. The adoptee can't necessarily do it. And they, you don't always know why. But it's that, that feeling. You know, this, this subject is so... Like the movie that Eric is on location doing right now in San Diego, it's about this. It's about this wow. big family that did the spit test and they're all excited. And then guess what? He Somebody's had it. adopted. Yeah. No, he had a kid. Oh, there was a match and it's his. And while he was married and having this family and actually while his wife was pregnant with another one of their kids. Okay. So, and it's based on like eight people's stories. I mean, that's the thing. It's everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's everywhere. And, um, and and yet there we have deliberately created a blind spot um, because we just don't know what to do about it. Basically, later, I want Zara to tell her story and how excluded she was from her dad, her biological dad's funeral and all kinds of stuff. When 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 my biological dad died, my daughter couldn't even handle going to the memorial. My son, Keaton, Morgan couldn't handle it. My son, Keaton, came with me and. It was like the Tom Hanks scene in Splash. Carlton, you remember that scene where he's standing wow. at the reception line, he broke up with his girlfriend, but he's telling everybody she has a cold and eventually he's yelling at the people. She's not here, damn it, she hates me. You know, just say <laughs> your business. So people kept coming up to Keaton and saying, and how are you connected to David? What are you doing here? Who do you know from the family? And Keaton was like, I'm his grandson. I'm his only grandson. He has two grandchildren, my sister and me. Who the hell are you? And, and yeah. to the point at the end where he was ready to blow the place up. I mean, and I don't blame him. He was so hurt. He was like, how is it these people don't, you know, what? You know, I'm the only one. We're you and wow. you and me, you and I, mom, we're the only ones who actually belong here. Everybody else should get the hell out. Um, wow. So, you know, those feelings are terrible. And, and, you know, you can be as kind. Well, they didn't know when they, you know, but you're kind of like, why didn't they know? That's not, a, that's not okay. And that's, and that's kind of on him, but now he's gone. He never bothered to say to everybody first and foremost, let me tell you about, you know, but, the, but a lot of that is the other end of the bond that the adult hasn't bonded that heavily with the kid either. Mm -hmm. They just, it's just some kid. I mean, they, he, he probably met my kids 11 times in their entire lives. I mean, that's, that's a very, you know, you got every, you guys know as parents, you know, your relationship with your kids is not 11 times. <laughs> right. It's a lot it's more. It's a lot more. Carlton, you were going to ask something a yeah. while ago. What was that? Yeah. You uh, speak. Oh, speak. Yeah. Uh, I, I was just, uh, I think it's I was following up on wanting to hear more details about the story. Uh, Sarah, how did you find, oh. how did you find out information about your um Do a real brief brief story so in england i was born in 64 records opened in 65 by the time i got sober at 22 23 i started searching for my birth mother because i knew i had to know I could, you know i couldn't move forward in a way this had always been the thing i was running from so in england because the records were open i was able to get my information through the social services where they gave me a name I spent a year back then, this is before computers, and I'd go to the births and records 
place in England and I look up in those big files, the little tiny writing and I found her mm. name and I did her full birth certificate. Then I went back again and I looked up every year. Did she have a child? Did she get married? And I ordered all the, because in England you can order all those certificates, whereas here you can't. So I had her marriage. Certificate. I had an address. I loved it. I'm I'm such a light detective. Adoptees, we are like the best detectives, <laughs> right? Right, because you're probably always working on that case. And I was always snooping at my parents' house through the papers, sneaking around the house as a kid, opening drawers, rifling through, not really knowing what I was oh. looking. For. Obviously, I was trying to find info, and. Um, so when I met my birth mother, I mean, obviously it took a while we met, you know, she was 17 when she had me. She was pregnant by an Italian man. She really didn't know him. The devastation of me just knowing I was just this mistake was hard. You know, I wanted to be an adoptee whose parents had been in love. You know, it's all these things. Oh. You don't well, there's marry. probably not a lot of those. You right. Know, well, no, there's more than you think, actually. High school sweethearts, you know, there's, there's, but anyway, so that was my reality. She, and my birth mother, she had sex with a lot of people. You know, I was like, how do you know it's him? Anyway, all I knew was his name was Vittorio. And he was from Italy. And I never knew I was Italian. I was, my birth mother's Jewish. My adoptive parents were Jewish. And I had a boyfriend once say, I only go out with Italian girls. He must have had a freaking radar, this guy, right? <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Later, you were right. I'm Italian. So it wow. was very exciting for me to be Italian, I have to say, because I used to buy crosses from the Vatican and all weird shit. And my adopted mother would completely freak out. Now, my adopted parents knew I was Italian, but never told me. Oh. That's another thing I don't, I don't advise. Just tell your kid that, you know, that was their... Because in the Jews, they probably thought her Catholic stuff is going to take over. And then when I'm hanging crosses, the, my mother... Anyway, fast forward, I tried. I went to Italian festivals in England. I had flyers. I knew that I needed to find my birth father. I connected with my birth mother to a point. I have a sister and brother, but I knew something in me must have known I needed to find him. So fast forward 25 years, who could have predicted pre-computers one day if somebody had said to me, there'll be this thing called ancestry DNA. It's going to change your life, right? You'd be like, what? You know, back in the 80s, you'd be like, huh? So right. ancestry DNA changed their tests it used to be or developed their test it used to be mother to daughter father to son they they developed it so well that they would say there's now a test where you can find your father it can go father to daughter anyway did my test a year and I was like I'm never going to find like in a way I had no expectation and this is what my my play, which is going to be a film where we filmed it actually for next year. I talk about the night. I get a match from a sister. Now, my brother and sister from my birth mother are also half Italian. She liked Italians, let me tell you. Wow. <laughs> when I see this match, <laughs> I'm seeing, I'm seeing uh. Italian. 
and I'm seeing the, the amount of center morgans. I know all the I know all the lingo now. I never knew all this stuff before. <laughs> and you click on a thing, and it will tell you could be on uncle sibling. Then you have what's called a search angel who I messaged. And she said, I'm telling you, this is a half sibling. Is this wow. one of your birth mother's kids that has done the ancestry? So of course I'm me messaging them in the night. It is the night before Father's Day. God has a great sense of humor. Anyway, it turns out I have matched with a sibling who was also adopted, who is American who was living in California, who went to the same therapist that I went to for adoption, wow. who sat in an adoption group with friends of mine and nobody connected us because I'm dark British and she's blonde and American and we're both looking for Vittorio. And I said to the adoptees, why didn't you realize? And they said, how could we have ever imagined you could be siblings anyway she had already found our father because he her mother knew his last name my mother did not know his last name she um my birth father was from rome he went to london he moved to california he was living in las vegas when i was living in la i lived in la for 12 years i moved to new jersey he moved to new jersey we were living one hour away from each other when we met. One hour wow. away from New Jersey. So I meet him. I mean, I'm telling you this very brief. I meet him, his his wife. There were now three of us that had shown up, right? Two of us adopted, one kid he'd had with another woman in England. Three of us born one year apart every November. Count back Valentine's Day. We're all conceived on Valentine's Day. <laughs> that we, we are, my sister's birthday is November 2nd. Mine's November 5th. My our brother's November 20th. One year. I counted back to the day it said Valentine's Day. Like I had to know when I was conceived. Oh, so you can imagine. Oh my God. That, that was his game. That was, he oh would just, uh, show oh. up with flowers and um, ah. you know, take and the girl out for Valentine's Day. Like, oh my wow. God. I don't know. They line up for me. He said to me, what do I do? He was so good looking. I didn't think I'd have a father that good looking. That sounds really weird to say it, but I have to, because you don't know what you look like. That's a whole other thing when you're adopted. No clue. Am I pretty? Am I not? I really don't know. But when I met him, I would admit this on air. I walked down the street. I was like, maybe I'm prettier than I thought I was. You are totally gorgeous. We had a relationship, but I, you know, I was very connected with him. We spoke nearly every day. We had a real, and he died two and a half years later, literally dropped dead and freaking died. Nine months after my adopted dad died. So in my play, I talk about who loses two fathers in yeah. nine months, right? So the pain, the grief, I cannot even begin to tell you. But I had these relationships with these siblings. So there's there were six of us then. Three months after he dies, there's another match on ancestry DNA. And we're all like, well, we knew there had to be another one. Yeah, you're probably going to keep getting more siblings. Uh, and she, she doesn't know 
she did not know that her father was not her father. She oh. was completely shocked. The mother never told her. So oh. she was with her. Anyway, she's lovely. I just got to meet this year. I went to Rome with my adopted, my other sister who's adopted. We have first cousins. I, I'm close with this sister. They have embraced me. They don't care. They don't really understand where I came from. They just go, you're Vittorio's daughter. And it's there's no shame. Oh. Sadly, the wife who I was close with in New Jersey and two of the, the sons that were raised by them, I got the most beautiful message from the son recently that was raised by them saying, I really want to meet you. Uh, but my... And we realized that all of these siblings, you're a legacy that Vittorio left, not shame. Yeah. The, the wife, however, feels we are the shame. So when he died, we were not allowed to go to his funeral because she didn't want people to know how many children he'd had. Even though none of us were born when they were together. Yeah. So my sister yeah. and I went to Elaine and I write all about this, but but the pain of that, and then she cut me out, and she will not speak to me. And yeah. it's that's, so yeah, that's brutal. I, it's very complex the feelings that because you found a, um, you know a parent, and you've you've been searching for all these years, and it should be a joyous um, occasion. And but yeah, the his wife probably wants to have nothing to do with any children that didn't come out of their relationship. Yeah. So it's complex. You know, I focus on the relationships I have. My sister and I, uh, Eliza, got to meet Kristen. Um, right. Our mm -hmm. children all live in Brooklyn. You know, we would never have known that her son was born on my birthday. You know, this and it's wonderful. And and my cousins, my Italian first cousins, now we, yeah. we message all the time. I mean, I have uh, two brothers in England. There's three British and four Americans. So it's always like, who's in the lead? Americans are in the lead. The boys are catching up with the girls. The girls are catching up with the boys. There's now three girls and four boys. And your kids have cousins. Your kids have a bunch of cousins because your adoptive brother never had kids. And even if he had, they would not be cousins to your kids. Your kids have oodles of cousins. They That's amazing. No. Okay, I want to ask you a question, Zara. See, this story is mind-blowing. So and there's so many of these Sorry. kind of, of stories um we're still in the halo um, <laughs> um, but but you know my question is well, i mean we'll get into all of this by the way it it blow the logistics blow my mind and in her original play she she goes to look for him in the square in italy you know in venice or whatever and excuse vittorio does anybody oh. know anybody named vittorio and of course vittorio is one of the most common italian names so everyone's yeah. like i do you know and zara's in her 40s and she's like i'm never gonna find this guy how the hell am i gonna ever find this guy um what i but there's a few details that are amazing when you first met pat your mom your biological mom did you get dressed up? How many outfits did you try on? Did she get dressed up? Oh, did you worry oh about your God. hair, your makeup? You want to look pretty. It's a thing. Oh, you're meeting your mother for the first yeah. time. Yeah. You want her to be like, I lay awake all night. I was obsessed with what to wear. I, I was. Wow. I bet she was. I actually went to my oh my God, I can't imagine. Yeah, because it's not, a, it has some of the elements of dating because basically you want them to say, oh, was I a fool to give you up? Look oh how gorgeous you are, how amazing. 
or to you come in with your doctoral degree or, or, you know, or whatever. Your resume, you just want to be like, here's right. my real. But then there's some of the, then there's people who are well-known and their parents come, their biological parents come with their handout for money. So they're like, Hey, you're very successful. That's very cool. You're mine. How about some money? Here's my other question, Zara. Um, no, but what that's basically have the same dress. Sometimes oh, really? Oh my God. Both wearing like leotard tops. I mean, we literally, and then I think she didn't really know what to do with me the second time. So she said, do you want to look at my clothes? You want to look at my clothes? Okay. I was only- Tell you everything about me. Just go into the closet. And I went, I just bought that same dress from the same Oh my God. See, that's what I mean about the connection. Okay, Zara, do you happen to know the answer to this? Oh, okay. We have to end the podcast soon, P.S., because we've gone an hour and a half. Right. Oh, goodness. No, I'm saying like we've done an amazing job. I know. This went really fast. Okay, but Zara, Zara, I told you we have a million things. Okay, Zara. I know. I would imagine there are now rules for donors, not to mention kids from donation, that they're not allowed to use 23andMe or Ancestry.com until the child is 18. Um, for In those situations, you see, because otherwise they're going to get the, you know, a, a 16, a 15 year old is going to go on there and let's say the biological dad went on there and they're going to find out before the, they're 18. The, uh, this, this is things we're going to talk about. Kids what? are finding out. Kids, they are so smart. No, I talked one time to a whole bunch of, of kids or adoptees. This kid, within five minutes, was on Facebook and found his birth mother. See, that's oh, oh okay, the other thing is we were gonna wow. we're gonna talk again later about since the what? rule is you get to find out when you're 18, and God willing, that parent doesn't die before then or whatever. But the other what the How other how can they stop kids going on ancestry DNA? How can they stop? That? I just wonder if it's like an NDA. I wonder if you have to sign something or, you know, no, but they won't. But then what about the biological parent when they donate? Do they have to sign something saying they will go on none of those sites? I really don't know, because honestly, some of these egg donations are coming from countries. They're coming from India. They're coming from Czech. They're coming from yeah. all over. China. Their eggs purely for money not really understanding there's yeah. there's, a, there's an amazing documentary called exploitation about oh, wow. what happens to the young girls that sell their eggs as well and how sometimes they're given so many drugs they create too many eggs they end up having their own fertility issues there, yeah, there's a lot, there's the feeling of what you feel about your child here's the here, the other thing we will talk in future episodes also about you know, if the rule, like, let's pretend everything was all clean and okay, and it wasn't corrupted. If the rule is when you're 18, you get, you have access to your biological parent um, that wasn't present in your life. Suppose you have a sibling also from that same biological parent, the mm -hmm. same donation, and they're four years younger than you. So what, what, so now you're, you're 18 and you, you're like, you know him, but the four, your 14 year old sister or brother, you're like, I can't tell you who your father is, although I'm having lunch with him tomorrow. Oh, I mean, my God. See, these are the things. Well, that, they they can open things up, like with adoptees too. Some adopted parents have, have said to me, my child needs to know they are 12 or whatever. And they're so desperate to know, you know, the, the oh, parents. Oh, good. My child, 
cannot move forward with their life they have they have they need this oh okay that's i don't know the laws around that but i'll look that up but i really don't you can't prevent it no i'm glad the the other thing is yeah there's a lot of books on the market now because of of you know adoption and other things um that actually deal with this they're they're for little children Mm -hmm. there's one that's a family tree it's like me, my mommy, and my donor, you know, and oh different things. God, we're just wow. trying to address it. Sure. And there's, it's ever changing. I, like I don't like my donor. That bothers me. <sighs> my mother. Right, right. My other, but my then other also, make also, it simple to, to separate that that is your parent. That is that child's mother and father. The sperm donor is the child's biological father. Right. Right, right, mm-hmm. right. So you, you have, you know, a so way I have to... a problem with those words because again, it's it's a way of pretending that we don't have those biological parents. Mm. Right. And 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 uh, and then the other thing is like I'm always really heartwarmed when I see these shows like from Vietnam vets or whatever, and they meet these people who are in their fifties and they're their children. And they have a bunch of other children there they love. And, and the second they meet that person, they just love them. Everybody loves each other. It's, you know, it's like, yes, I get it. In a future episodes, we're also going to talk about, there's a very interesting intimacy and sexual component. There are many, many instances of girls when they meet their biological father, ending up in an incestuous relationship because you have this bizarre, it's an intimate stranger. It's a person who never changed your diaper, never had a chance to see you as a child. Your dad, Vittorio said to you, if you weren't my daughter, you'd be somebody I'd be coming on to you. Right. Didn't he say something like that? Um, I would have been chasing you. And I went, Victoria, that's kind of weird. You're not <laughs> supposed to say that, but this is not uncommon because they 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 see you. It's like when I meet my kids' friends. This sounds like it's going the wrong direction. It's not. <laughs> when I meet my when I look at when I look at my when I look at my kids and they're in their 40s, I see babies. I see babies. I'm like, do you do you want some lunch? Should I cut your the crust <laughs> off your sandwich for you? You know, I see babies. It drives them crazy. When I see their friends, especially the ones who weren't hanging out in our house, let's say they're new friends, yeah. right? I see an adult I could be friends with. I'm like, oh, I'm going, you know, I'm friends with Anna or whatever. And they're like, why? She's like, why are you friends with her? She doesn't like you. You're old, right? <laughs> and I'll be like, no, we're friends. And then I'll realize she's your age, but I didn't know her as a baby. So to me, she presents as an adult. But when we don't know our biological parents, it happened to me with my biological father and his friends, by the way, all the time, where we were more like a bunch of adults who were weirdly connected in this very organic way with all kinds of like shyness you have on a first date. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's so weird. Wow. Um, Because- how not right you have the how not yeah Yeah. how not yeah so there's a lot that a lot that goes on that instead of judging it and condemning it and thinking ew disgusting it's so awful um instead understand these are the things that happen because we do it wrong right because we don't allow access we don't account for any of it we don't acknowledge it we it's all shame 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 right and i Mm -hmm. think part of the reason you're we carry the shame. Yes. I felt shameful. I had feelings of I am not allowed to exist because I'm not meant to be here. That's how deep as a teenager I felt. And then when I had my baby, my first baby, 
I was like, he's not a mistake. No baby is a mistake. Yeah. And that's when the healing really began. Because if I called myself a mistake, I was calling him a mistake. And there's no way he was. Right. It was very profound for me during that time. Right. Very profound. So, okay. So, so in the future, I- delve into the, a lot of the connections with addiction, with this and addiction and anger and just every, you know, life, right? Sexuality, but- women being competitive with one another. Oh, and sure. the unnecessary. <laughs> that's not a word a necessity of that yeah i'm gonna ask you if did your uh biological father was he aware at all of all of these children that he had yes he he knew all of them and when he met me he went my wife she's gonna kill me he was yeah. absolutely well, I'm sure his wife had had enough of this by the time you came along. She's probably already met a few of them. She, she welcomed but... me to did. But um, he, uh, you know, he was just like, he kept going, like, doing the cross. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I just went, oh. Victoria, I don't judge you. I don't judge you. I don't judge well, you. That's a, I mean, part of that is just cultural, you know, Italian men are notoriously... You know, sort of with women. Yeah. <laughs> he, you know, I mean, when you think about it, he really only had sex with these mothers, maybe one or two times, maybe three or four. They, you know, he had a radar for fertile women. We were, we all little souls. Well, it sounds were, like they were all young too. <laughs> yes, yeah. but I mean, so. the thing—the thing that we have to do, the thing we have to do, is I—I I, I know that sex leads to babies the kind of the only way to get to a baby is is sexuality that won't always be true but right now it is but i think we have to to differentiate because for instance victoria's wife just thought of this as if a bunch of women had come forward going i slept with your husband nah 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 but the, it, yeah. it wasn't the women it was the children and that has and it goes way beyond his dick if you'll excuse the expression but now mm-hmm. they're people their whole people, a lot of them have their own kids. Yeah. That's what I think. I think to start there, where yes. we acknowledge these are whole human beings, yeah. feelings, and all kinds of stuff. I, I met a complete yeah. stranger who was my father, and the familiarity yes. that I felt with him, I'd never felt that with another person. Mm. And I can't describe to you in words what that feels like. Yeah. It's, yep familiarity that we don't know and it, and I knew him and I knew that he knew me and I saw myself and with my birth mother when I met her I told my friends that she was really ugly oh, <laughs> oh. ugly I said her features are so huge and I said if you see her walking down the street can you see her features jumping out and you know what she said to me the last time you saw her was when you were a baby. So her features were huge. Oh my oh. God. What happens for the adoptees when they see the mother for the first time as an adult. Right. Those lapses I was telling you about start reconnecting again because you're seeing the mother's face. Yeah. But it was I was like, she's a freak. And my friends are like, what are you saying? <laughs> 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 woman i'm like no 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 she's a weird i mean it was extreme that's a wild phenomenon yep 
And that connects, ever... even think about where you and Victoria all moved to. I mean, there's a reason why he happened to come to the States, come to the West Coast, go to Jersey at the same time as you, whatever it was, whatever stuff we don't know in our brain and in our limbic system and whatever, that's that those kind of situations are really interesting. And yeah, and they're quite common. I hear a lot of adoptees that find out they end up in the vicinity of their uh, birth parent. It, it yeah. is weird. So that's the whole spiritual, energetic. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a lot to talk about, obviously. Colin, do you want to wrap us up here? Uh, yeah. Well, this was a good discussion. We went uh, over time a little bit. But uh, <laughs> anyway, it was uh, fun. And we'll do it again next time. Thanks <laughs> for joining, joining us for this episode of Thinking It Through. And we'll wrap it up and see you next time. Thank you. You can find the video of this podcast at youtube.com backslash at thinking it through podcast.